today on Growing Grace. This infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That's a very logical scientist, mathematician who came to a logical conclusion that I still have this thirst. He's talking about the desire that God put in you and in me. It's eternity. It's you know there's more than this. Now you might be sitting here an atheist going, eh, I don't think so. Yeah, I just live like a hog and will die like a dog. No, you will live for eternity. That's what God is speaking to. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. It's my pleasure to welcome each of you now to Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is in the midst of an intriguing study of John's gospel right now. And today we'll give our attention to verses 38 through 53 where a division occurs over the question, who is Jesus? Well, you know, still today, division breaks out over that very question. But the answer, the truth about Jesus, remains the same. Here's Pastor Ed to explain. Okay, so God said to Ezekiel, go walk in that river that's coming out of the side of the temple. And that's what he's saying to you and I too. Accept Jesus in your life and go walk in the river. And so Ezekiel obeys, and he's walking through the river, and the, the river comes up to his ankles, and that's his walk in his relationship with God. And God says, now go 1,500 feet further down the river, uh, a 1,000 cubits. And so he walks there, and the water comes up to his waist. And God says, you will walk with me and reproduce your loins that there will be other believers that will come out of your relationship with me. That's what we're talking about happening. And then God says, walk another 1,500 feet, and he does, and he goes over his head. And God says, you'll get crazy about serving me because you'll love to see what's happening. If you're sitting here going, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about this relationship with the Holy Spirit coming inside you, and someday... You let that happen. And someday you'll stand in heaven. And somebody will walk up beside you and say, hey, say your name. And you'll look over and say, you remember me? Say, no, your face looks familiar. Says, I was your next door neighbor for 17 years. Thank you. Said, for what? Says, you just lived out your life in front of me. But I saw you take the kids to church. I saw the way your kids act when they played with my kids. I saw that when you went through that divorce, that you were sorrowful and you went and repented and God was gracious to put your life back together. And I said, I gotta go to that church. And I went, thank you. Out of you will come this river of life that will make other people thirsty and then give them that view of what life is about. So every one of us, has a desire or a longing for a relationship with God. You may be sitting here as an atheist, and I hope you are. I love to talk to atheists and agnostics. 
because I was one for the first 27 years of my life. I'm teaching evolution, and I'm absolutely convinced there is no God. And one of the people that affected my life was Pascal. You probably recognize that name. He was a French philosopher and a mathematician. He's a brilliant guy. Has an estimated IQ of more than 200, which is way above genius. He was struggling because he knew something was missing in his life. We know from Pascal's triangle, the equilateral, without going into all the mathematics, that's why the name's a little bit familiar. So he's struggling with, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not fulfilled in what I'm doing. And he asked God to show himself if there was a God, and God did. And it was such a compelling night, in the middle of the night, after midnight one night, that Pascal wrote down on a little slip of paper, fire, fire from God. I feel change. Something's happening to me. There is a God. And he folded it up and he put it in his breast pocket. 35 years later, they found it still in his breast pocket because he remembered what had happened that night. He wrote it this, fire, power, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once a man, in man, in humanity, a true happiness of which all that now remains is an empty trace. This is he who tries in vain to fill everything around him, seeking in things the help that he cannot find, though none can help, since this infinite abyss, this hole in my heart is what he's talking about, this thirst, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That's a very logical scientist, mathematician who came to a logical conclusion that I still have this thirst. He's talking about the desire that God put in you and in me. It's eternity. It's you know there's more than this. Now you might be sitting here an atheist going, eh, I don't think so. Yeah, I just live like a hog and will die like a dog. No, you will live for eternity. That's what God is speaking to. But this he spoke, Jesus is talking about concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him, there it is again, believe in, believing in him, and then they'll understand, believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. This is, Jesus is still alive, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now glorified is a very religious word, but it means something simple. It means display. Who Jesus really is has not been displayed yet. Well, when did that happen? Over in the book of Acts, the next book after John, on the second chapter, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives and he says, see ya, <laughs> and he lifts it up. And they watched him go into the crowds. And all of a sudden, two angels were standing beside them. He says, you men of Israel, why are you standing looking up in the clouds? He's gonna come back. We're still waiting for that, by the way. <laughs> but that's when he was glorified. He is the power. 
Now that he's glorified, he has sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside you, to live in you. The disciples became fountains of living water. Not until after Jesus arose. Then Peter gets up. You know Peter, the fisherman, blue-collar worker, uneducated, and he gives the most eloquent message ever written, I believe, in the entire Bible, except for the Sermon on the Mount. And it's because he's filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. 3,000 people come forward. Therefore, many from the crowd, verse 40, when they heard this saying said, truly, this is the prophet. This is the one that Moses said was going to come in Deuteronomy 18. This has got to be him. Definite article, the prophet. Others said, no, this is the Christ. This is the king, Mashiach in Hebrew. But some said, will the Mashiach, will the king come out of Galilee? Now, that was a very derogatory put down that, well, you know, the Messiah is going to come, but he's not supposed to come from that hick town, that area 70 miles north from Jerusalem where they were speaking. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David? He's genetically tied to King David. And from the town of Bethlehem. Yes, that's exactly where it said he would be born. But they never asked Jesus. He grew up in Nazareth. No one ever came up and said, where were you born? The wise men, the Magi, who came from Persia, came when Jesus was born to the priests in Jerusalem and said, where's the Messiah? Where's the king of the Jews to be born? They said, well, Micah, last book in the Old Testament, 5.2, says that he would be born in Bethlehem. Well, where's Bethlehem? Well, that's about four miles down the road. Well, why haven't you guys gone? Because we don't believe. So he was from Bethlehem. But there was a division. The, the Greek word is schism. There was a violent split, argument among the people because of Jesus. And they're going back. They're on the Temple Mount. Jesus had just said this on the way up to the university, the most prestigious university in the Middle East. 30 different universities there on the Temple Mount. Jews from all over the known world would come there to study. And so they're all watching all that taking place. Now some of them wanted to take him, wanted to capture him. But no one laid hands on Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't his time. It wasn't the time he was going to die. He's going to die, but he's going to die on Passover, not on the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where we are. So it's fall, and the spring is the Feast of Passover. Well, it's Passover. Remember, they were in Egypt. And there were 10 plagues, and the last one was going to be the firstborn was going to be killed. And God said, sacrifice the lamb, take the blood from the lamb, put it on the doorpost, top and bottom, side to side, paint it with the blood of a lamb. And the families that are underneath the blood of the lamb, the death angel will pass over. Well, that was a picture of a cross, and the lamb dying on the cross, and John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God is so symmetrical in his futuristic sayings, his prophecies, and it's all fitting together. It wasn't time for him. Just like it wasn't time for you. You're here today because your time has not yet come. Someday we'll all face that. You know, 
try and drive past Alabama and San Bernardino, some idiot will run the light and try and kill you. But if it's not your time, then you're still alive. You're full of titanium and broken bones. You don't feel as good as she used to, but you're still alive. That was a joke of some of your visitors. You go, what's he talking about? I... This is Grow in Grace, and our teacher is Pastor Ed Ray. Here he is with more from John 7. But it wasn't Jesus' time, so they didn't lay hands on him. They didn't take him back to the high priest. That's what the next verse says. The officers, the, the temple police, not the Romans, but these are Jewish officers who protected the temple, all the gold in it, came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? We sent you to go bring Jesus back. We're going to have a trial. Look at the answer of these police officers. They said, no man ever spoke like this man. These are unbelievers who go to capture someone, a criminal, and they hear him speak, and it stops them in their tracks. Someday, we will get to hear Jesus speak in heaven. You will wake up, and he will be in front of you, and seeing him, Scripture says, you will be like him. And you will know, you will understand, just as you are known by God. And you are going to suck air. <gasps> Your first breath in eternity will be, oh my goodness. Now kids today like to put OMG. You're going to say it and you're going to mean it in front of him. Imagine, I want to check out these DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever format they use in heaven. I want to hear Jesus preach. These unbelieving officers of the temple come to capture him and they're stunned. When they heard him, their skin crawled, their heart skipped a beat, they had goose flesh, goose bumps, whatever you want to call it. They were amazed. No one has ever spoken like this man. Why didn't you capture him? Well, nobody speaks like this. What? That's not an answer. Yeah, it is an answer. A stunning answer from unbelievers of what it sounded like to hear Jesus speak. You will be just, I will be just as stunned to hear him speak. So the Pharisees, these are the leaders of the temple, the Sanhedrin, the, the 70 leaders, are you also deceived, they say to the guards, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? The answer is yes, some have, but they don't know about it yet. You're flipped out, you're gone crazy. You think this criminal is the Messiah? But this crowd does not know the law. It is a curse because they don't understand we're so smart, they're so stupid. That's what they're saying. But Nicodemus, this is more than Nicodemus could take. You remember Nicodemus? He was the leader of the Sanhedrin that came to Jesus in John chapter 3. And he said, what do we have to do? I thirst. Jesus said, you have to be born again. I have to get back inside my mother. She won't like it. No, you must be born of water, living water, and of spirit. Same guy. 
two years later. He's standing there, and these guys are saying, well, none of us are that stupid. But Nicodemus, he's an old lion by this time. You know, he's a guy that's been through it. He's been a leader. He's been maligned. He's been in, like an old lion in wars. He said more than he should have sometimes, but he learned. And he learned that, you know, better to be thought a fool and remain silent than open your mouth and remove all doubt. So he's this old lion who is wise. But it's more than he can take. He came to Jesus by night, John chapter 3, and he said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? This is the basis of Judas in our nation. Justice is determined by this verse. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because the writer that affected Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Bill of Rights, and Madison, who did the Constitution, got this from a Scottish minister named Samuel Rutherford, who took this verse and built a book called Lex Rex. Lex is law, Rex is the king. Because in that day, the king was law. But he put it the other way around. He said, the law is king. And because he meditated on that, because he wrote that book that Jefferson and Madison both read, it was in their libraries, they found it. That's the basis. We consider it to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And there's jurisprudence in America based on this verse. And you can go read about it. It's, we have freedom. We have a man must be considered innocent until he's proven guilty based on verse 51. Verse 52. They answered and said to Nicodemus, are you also from Mentone? And I could insult, you know, wherever you live. Are you also from Yucaipa? Calamesa? San Bernardino? Could anything good come out of Bryn Mawr? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Eh, wrong answer, not true. When you get upset and you lose your temper, you really just need to be quiet. These guys who are supposed, their, their job is to interpret the law and to know God's word. They said, well, there's no prophets that ever lived up in the north. Not true. 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah was from Gad-Hether. Well, where in the world is Gad-Hether? The Galilee. 1 Kings 17.11. Elijah, an inhabitant of Gilead. Where's Gilead? The Galilee. Nahum 1.11. Nahum, the Elkishite. Where is Nahum from? Nahum in Hebrew, or Capern in Hebrew is city, Nahum, Capernaum. The very city that Jesus was working from was the village that Nahum the prophet, Old Testament prophet, was from. And so they're just pontificating, you know, well, there's no prophets that come out of it. But it got to them because they thought about it. Every man went to his own house. That may not sound 
like it's convincing, but it's true about you. It's true about me, all of us. We have this amazing tape recorder installed here. It remembers everything. We might choose to forget things. We might, as we get older, get some dementia or Alzheimer's, but this thing records everything. And then it feeds it back when you go home, when I go home, and our head hits the pillow bank, it starts to process. And we understand now that that's how memory works. All the, the, the workings of the last day is moved on the disk drive, if you will, from the frontal lobe into the back. And that's why people who are struggling with Alzheimer's can remember something 30 years ago when all that was working, but they can't remember yesterday because that mechanism of moving information to the other side of the disk is no longer working. But you will go home, I will go home tonight, and we'll think about what we heard today, what we saw today. And sometimes our mind works in background like a computer, and then all of a sudden the answer comes and it pops forward and we go, whoa, that's what was meant. Someday you will see that God has been using you, those of you that have surrendered your life to the Lord, in people's lives that you probably just never even realized you were impacting them. Be natural. Be supernaturally natural. What? Just live out your life in front of people. Don't speak in Christianese. Don't blow them away by Bible verses they've never heard of. But live like a person who loves God. And they'll see it, and out of you will come a river of living water that will change them. What are you talking about, Pastor? A river. He uses the word reverse. Now, the most powerful river in the world is the Amazon. It's not the longest one, 3,600 miles. There are longer rivers. But this one starts at 17,000 feet, little trickle of water in the summer out of the Andes Mountain. And it encompasses the entire, really, the continent of South America. And these little tiny streams come together into this river that is full of life itself and on equal side. So much water is being diverted from the entire continent that it gets bigger and stronger and flows more and more water as it moves along. 3,600 miles, but it flows longer rivers, but this one flows 1.4 million cubic feet per second. Think of a box, plastic box that's 12 inches by 12 inches by 12 inches. That's a cubic foot, put water in it. 1.4 million of those go by every second out of the Amazon River. After we've received the living water, we're to share it with others. That's the great takeaway lesson from John 7. And this is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. And you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. We're also on YouTube, and that's a great way to live stream our services or watch recently delivered messages. Search for Packing House Christian Fellowship, 
And if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you at 844-77-GRACE. As we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking to our listeners for help. Even a small donation can have a large impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight to the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. Again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Would you like to put a smile on our face? Just shoot us an email and let us know you're listening. It's so helpful to hear if a particular series is benefiting your walk with the Lord. It's encouraging, too. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. We have another study to look forward to in the Gospel of John next time on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll see you then. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me